0: Our scripture today comes from the gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Hear the word of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O oh Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Some of you have seen the movie Apollo 13. And the movie Apollo 13 chronicles the real-life, perilous and aborted attempt of the flight crew of Apollo 13 on their way to the moon. Before they get to the moon, however, an explosion occurs that severely cripples the spacecraft and requires them to turn around and go home without landing on the moon's surface. All attention now is directed to trying to figure out how to steer the craft back to Earth with very little help with computers or electrical power, for that matter. It doesn't take long to figure out that the crew has lost this instrumentation to guide them to that precise angle by which they would need to enter and pass through the Earth's atmosphere without either burning up or skipping off the surface of the atmosphere. But without instruments, there is just no way to find the angle unless they could find in space a fixed point by which to set their course. Typically, they would use the stars, but with all the debris from the explosion, they could not tell what were stars and what was space junk. Someone in the NASA headquarters remembered that during their planning, they had come up not only with a plan A, B, C, D, they went all the way to X, Y, or Z to use as a last resort if, God knows, all instruments and fixed points had failed them, which is precisely what happened. And the plan X or Y or Z was to use the Earth as the fixed point, and to position the Earth inside the window of their craft, so all they could see is the planet Earth outside their window, so they could set their determinants upon that fixed point. That the only way they were gonna get home was to keep good old planet Earth filling their window as they set their coordinates, which is exactly what they did, and they returned safely home. We all need fixed points to find our way. When Matthew begins his story about the life and ministry of Jesus, he tells us that there were some wise men in the East, astrologers who made it their business to consider the heavens and to pay attention to the fixed and moving points in the night to determine from them what the cosmos, maybe even what the heavens were saying And a star appears in the east and begins to move across the heavens toward the west. And the wise ones set their track on that fixed and moving point to serve as their navigation to where they sensed they needed to go. And it takes them to the cradle of a Palestinian boy and his two homeless parents. And beyond any rational explanation, they bow down and worship and empty their treasure chests. Their fixed point has taken them to their fixed point. The Bible's filled with all sorts of people navigating by all sorts of navigational devices. Moses encounters the burning bush and hears the voice, and the voice becomes his internal navigation system. And as he's leading the people out of slavery and into the wilderness, Scripture tells us that a pillar of fire precedes them to show them the way. King David, as he leads the people of God, is subject to all sorts of crosswinds and headwinds and lustful diversions. So he appoints to his court a wise man named Nathan, Nathan the prophet. And when David gets off course, he consults his truth teller, Nathan, to tell him to find the coordinates for him to get back on track. The Apostle Paul has his Damascus Road experience and becomes convinced of the resurrection of the crucified one and says that at the end of the day, love is the fixed point. If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love for Paul was the fixed point, it was the internal navigational system. And then there's John the Baptist from our lesson this morning, the voice crying in the wilderness calling all of Israel to repent, to be baptized, and and the one who sees his entire calling now being shaped by another fixed point, and that is the coming Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, when Jesus appears on the scene and the masses now begin to follow Jesus, the friends of John come to him and say, well, doesn't that bother you? I mean, you're losing your following to this guy, Jesus. And in John's gospel, he says, oh, no, my joy is fulfilled because he must increase And I must decrease. Messiah has grown within him to serve as the internal navigational system. My joy increases as the Messiah increases. There's a wonderful scene in CS Lewis. Great little story, Prince Caspian, where the four Pevensey children are trying to make their way through the unfamiliar territory and and they get to a point where the paths diverge, and one road looks a little dangerous and somewhat away from the direction they think they should be going. And the other road appears to make a little bit more sense. And as they're trying to decide, Lucy, the youngest child, sees in the distance this more difficult up this more difficult path, the faint image of Aslan the Lion, who serves as the Christ figure in the story. And because she sees Aslan the lion in the distance it appears to her that this is the way for them to go but but the rest of the children don't see the lion so they disregard Lucy's eyewitness and the group votes against her and they choose the easier seemingly better path and Lucy kind of gives into the whole thing and sure enough it's a path that only gets them in more trouble and finally when they're in a little over their heads Aslan appears again before Lucy and this time they have this talk And they talk, and Lucy notices that Aslan is appearing bigger to her. And so she comments, Aslan, you're bigger. Oh, says Aslan, oh, no, that's because you're older. You mean you really aren't any bigger? Oh, no, says the lion, but when you grow, you will find me bigger. Every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Every year you grow, you will find me increasing. You will find me increasing inside your heart. The joy increases when the lion increases. The Apostle John calls Jesus the Lion of Judah. And the journey for you and me is to allow the Lion of Judah to find more and more space inside our lion hearts so that, as Paul writes, it is no longer I who live, but it is the lion, it is Christ who lives in my heart, telling us where to go and what to do. He must increase this internal navigational device. He must increase inside our hearts. I don't know much about hearts. I know as much about hearts as I do about space travel, but I do know that hearts hold lots of things. Our physical hearts have chambers, and so do our spiritual hearts, I guess. We, we hold in our hearts chambers for lots of things, good things, bad things. In our hearts, we hold on to lots of good things, right, goodness and grace and beauty and truth and but then we hold on to not such good things, right? Envy, bitterness, jealousy, prejudice. We have all sorts of chambers in our hearts. So when John says, the lion must increase and I must decrease, he's saying in a sense that the lion has to grow. He's not a tame lion. He must grow. He must squeeze out the unhealthy chambers. The psalmist says, give me an undivided heart to revere your name Let the lion occupy my heart, my mind, my spirit, my thinking. We must become lion hearts. We must let the lion push out all those things that divert us from the path and life of Jesus. Like the planet earth filling up that window, we must let the lion fill the window of our souls to be the fixed point through which we direct our lives or else we become lost and aimless. Boris Pasternak, author of Dr. Shivago, wrote once The great majority of us are required to live a life of constant, systematic duplicity. He goes on to say, Your health is bound to be affected if day after day you say the opposite of what you feel, if you grovel before that which you dislike, and you rejoice at that which brings you nothing but misfortune such is the chambered heart pulling us in all sorts of different directions which makes me think of that faithful night when the disciple peter is standing in the courtyard while jesus is on trial not really realizing that he is on trial as well and sure enough, he begins to get cross-examined by the crowd. Aren't you with the Galilean? They keep asking him these questions, and he's got these chambers in his heart, and he doesn't know which to hold on to. He's got chambers of fear and doubt and foolish pride. And before he know it, before he knows it, he's saying something it isn't true. He's denying what he knows is the case. He grovels before before what he dislikes, and it's because the Lion of Judah has not grown, it has not squeezed out his fear and false bravado. Give me an undivided heart, O God, an undivided heart which seemed to be the prayer over and over again of the modern St. Dietrich Bonhoeffer as the wind of bad politics and evil regime and a weak church set to drive the young Dietrich Bonhoeffer off course as Hitler was coming to rise. Give me, he said, an undivided heart. Help me to see the window of my soul, only within it the window, the lion. And the lion grows and the courage grows. And before he knows it, he's saying exactly what is on his mind. He's standing up for that which would he, before which he would not wish to grovel, rejoicing only in what he believes is right. And oh, yes, it means going to prison. And oh, yes, it means being marched off by the Nazis to be hanged. But this is what lion hearts do. Which makes me think of Kathy Cheeg. Twenty years ago, when I first visited Honduras, we went to the capital city of of the Copan District, Santa Rosa, and visited there the hospital that was to serve that entire region. And when I went into the hospital, I could see how it was overrun by human need, understaffed, under-resourced, no real equipment, no real staff. I saw patients not sharing rooms, but sharing beds. I saw children left to die because there was no ability to get them the treatment that you and I can get at the local urgent care down the street. And just as I was getting overwhelmed by the pain and the injustice of it all, I met the lion. And the lion came in the form of this woman named Kathy Cheeg. Kathy had been just a regular old person who grew up in Ohio. Became a Peace Corps volunteer when she was young, did her two years, returned home to life as normal. But the need of Honduras plagued her. It kept her up at night. So with some years of nursing experience and a degree in business and a growing lion in her heart, she returned to right the wrongs and bring healing to the illness and brokenness. Oh, Kathy is a force. She has an unchambered heart and for 30 years has led the Central American Outreach Mission to perform 140,000 life-saving services a year. It's what happens when the lion grows. Edmund Burke wrote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. And good people do nothing when there's no lion. We cannot be courageous without the lion. John the Baptist is not John the Baptist without the lion. Peter is not Peter without the lion. Lucy is not Lucy without the lion. The Apostle Paul is not the Apostle Paul without the lion. Kathy Chig is not Kathy Chig without the lion. Lion hearts, all of them. You can see the lion peering from their souls. And you and me, what must we do to prevent the triumph of evil? Nothing, I suppose, without the lion. The Lion of Judah, oh, he must increase, and we must decrease. No longer we who live, but the Lion who lives in us, squeezing the chambers of our hearts and conquering the world.